This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. It's a fatal mistake in the movie business to lose track of the most important person. No, not the cinematographer, no matter what they may tell you. And no, it's not the overseas star who graced the shoot with his or her presence for a couple of weekends. It's not the producer chomping his cigar or cigar-shaped vaping device these days. And nor is it the genius auteur offering a unique vision to dazzle film festivals around the world. No, the most important person remains you, the punter. You see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. It's the audience who determines whether a film is a hit or a flop, and quite often they've decided that long before they've actually paid for their tickets. They probably can't tell you in advance what they're looking for, but that's not really their job. What they can tell you is if whether what you're offering is what they want. And you'd think most smart filmmakers would bear this in mind when they're putting together their next projects. But, as I say, you don't want to lose track of the audience you think you're aiming at. One of the most frustrating descriptions of a film is surely disappointing. That means you got the target right, you just missed it badly. Mum, hey, it's Dad. He's, he's not how I imagined him. He's not used to having people around. Equally, you don't want to offer your magnum opus to empty cinemas. That means you didn't even get the target right. But occasionally, none of this matters. Sometimes the audience you're aiming at has been so poorly served recently that they'll come and see it whatever it's like. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up being best friends. Come here! Come to Daddy! They'll give a so-so film the benefit of the doubt simply because nobody else has been making anything for them. Hence the success of old folks' romances, boy band biopics and rugby films. I don't think anyone could doubt that they were watching greatness unfold. I don't want this feeling to ever end. These audiences aren't necessarily applauding what they actually saw. They're cheering what they'd like to have seen, and sometimes that's enough. But being thankful for small mercies is, unfortunately, not my job. I have to be brutally honest, if not about the actual quality of the film in question, then at least about whether I had anything like a good time. It's Purse. That's me, Brody. My friends are losers... So we started a band. Well, this week, two local films targeting quite different audiences. The Legend of Baron Toa was aimed so firmly at a Pacifica audience that it opened with an apology to older family members for the mild swearing in the film. When I heard you were the Baron's only spawn, I don't know whether to piss or crap my pants. You know what I've concluded, my bro? Change my undies. <laughs>
Not so the perceived audience for the boisterous splatter movie Guns Akimbo. Aside from the enthusiastic violence and slaughter, the language, as dear old Mrs Doyle used to say in Father Ted, was something fierce. Oh, it's one thing to say you can't face violence, but when it faces you, you better be ready. When the shit goes down, you better be ready. You better be ready. Right, yeah. Yeah. But first, for people of a gentler sensibility, a British film not only shot by the director of The Full Monty, but sticking to the same formula, replacing stripping men with singing women. It's called Military Wives. This is a professional event. We cannot embarrass ourselves. What are you doing? Checking my heart rate. Okay. Well, you look like you're choking yourself. There are going to be so many people like us with loved ones at risk. And I want to do this for them. The audience for Military Wives on the night I saw it was numerous and enthusiastic. Aside from the easy-to-grasp storyline, it stars two favourite actors, Kristen Scott Thomas, representing the officer class, and TV favourite Sharon Horgan as the wife of the sergeant major. That was like the incantations of a bunch of witches. A bit dramatic. If you think singing with a pole up your arse is what the women need, then you're more out of touch than I thought. The real-life story of military wives was already told on television a few years ago. The account of how the wives and partners of British soldiers fighting in Afghanistan coped by forming a choir. Well, predictably, a certain amount of poetic licence was engaged in this version. Dad, are you off to the war tomorrow? I am. Look after Mummy. If she gets upset, give her a hug. The men and one woman take off, leaving their other halves at a loose end. There is a social club, run after a fashion, by Mrs Sergeant Major Lisa. But the Colonel's wife thinks they can do better and starts taking suggestions. I'm Kate Barclay, Colonel Barclay's wife. We need to come up with some exciting activities while our service people are away. What about singing? Singing? Well, let's just get the strippers in. Oh, yes. <laughs> And from the start, it's clear that whatever feel-good gimmick these military wives get up to, singing, baking, ballroom dancing or stamp collecting, Kate and Lisa are going to bicker all the way through it. Lisa, I need help to bring them together. So, so why don't we... Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no go ahead. OK. Um, uh, thanks very much, Lisa. That's lovely. Um, this reminds me of when my parents got divorced. La, 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 la. It's also apparent that these wives may be enthusiastic, but they're a little light on musical talent. This isn't helped by the choir director's conflicting approaches. Kate thinks everyone should read sheet music, for instance, while Lisa favours a more, now that's what I call, music strategy on a tinny keyboard. Can you even play that thing without any music? Reading music makes things a bit stilted. I'm not sure Mozart would agree with that. One, two, three. The end results are initially dire, and you wait for the arrival of a top musical trainer to lick them all into shape, a sort of school of easy listening pop, perhaps. Well, that doesn't happen, but at least one person proves to have rather a good voice. Sometimes when I think of her name, when it's only a game, and I need you. 
as a military wife says, well, of course the Welsh girl can sing. And as far as the film's concerned, one good singer means job done for the rest of the choir. Suddenly, everyone's shaped up and warbling solid gold hits by Yazoo, Human League, Dido and Cindy Lauper. Top Brass need you to sing at the Festival of Remembrance. It's on TV. The big one. And there comes a time when the choir, who've performed in public now a grand total of no times, is headhunted by the army to perform at a real-life high-profile event at the Albert Hall. We need to be organised. Something we both know is not your strong point. Do you know what? All you do is belittle me, but I am trying. This is going to be a disaster. Guys, please don't give up. Well, it's about now that I had a few personal problems with military wives, mostly about the rather thin characterisation of the choir members. Kristen Scott Thomas and Sharon Horgan do most of the dramatic heavy lifting, despite some potentially attractive characters set up and then largely ignored. I just feel sick every time the phone rings, every time the doorbell goes. How do you cope? You may not need the choir, Lisa. But those women do. Lying in my bed, Director Peter Catania was the man behind another feel-good gang show some years ago, The Full Monty. And one of the scriptwriters, Rachel Tunnard, made a lovely, unpredictable little film more recently called Adult Life Skills. So what I'm saying is that I was a little disappointed. Great music, it doesn't happen when things are perfect. It happens when you care. Unlike my audience, who included not only quite a few wives, but some actual military and who had a pretty good time. What they wanted to see was Kristen and Sharon, a choir made up of some appealing, not dauntingly brilliant lasses, and a few songs they already knew. I know we can do this. They also wanted any problems sorted at the end, either on stage at the Albert Hall or with a little tear and a hug afterwards. Yes, they'd probably have preferred all this in a better film, but failing that, this was the sort of story they wanted and therefore rather better than the alternatives. Putting me in my place, in other words. Come and see. No, thank you. It's like childbirth. Best to be completely oblivious until it's happening. A sign that I may have underestimated a film and its audience is when it sticks around far longer than I was expecting. This time last year, a totally formulaic musical called The Greatest Showman remained on screens here for so long that I ended up reviewing it three months after it came out and rather enjoyed it to my embarrassment. Ready? Showtime. Well, a year later, the same thing happened with a New Zealand film called The Legend of Baron Toa. 
My excuse for initially ignoring it was it was showing at some pretty out-of-town theatres thanks to Wellington's dire inner-city cinema situation. It was also very South Auckland in focus, particularly Tongan South Auckland, and demanded that I know and be enthusiastic for wrestling on New Zealand television over 20 years ago. Your father was a pioneer for the Polynesian people. Been gone 20 years, Uncle. Some things move on. Some things get passed on. Now, I do vaguely remember a TV series called On the Mat that offered a keen local equivalent of the rather more spectacular American version. But this film has clearly got rather stronger memories of New Zealand's wrestling heroes, people like the fictitious Baron Toa. Why you park like that on the footpath? You figure on the street? The kids are coming back from school. Hey, are you sure? Are you sure? In this story, the Baron was not only a hero in the larger-than-life world of the wrestling ring, but he took his mana into the neighbourhood where he lived. The Baron was literally a local hero, often taking it on himself to ride in and take out the trash. Is that your son? Sorry, boy, I don't know. Stay in school. Well, Dad had his back-in-the-days ways, but this isn't back-in-the-days. C.E., just go fight, man. All right. But the Baron died young, and his son Fritz took off to Australia, where he became hugely successful as a computer software designer. Fritz returns home one day to visit his uncle Otto and sell the family home before returning to Sydney. You near around here, bro? Uh, no. I don't see you for all this time. When my dad died, this place went to crap. That's not the nephew I tell you about. He's been in Australia too long. Boys come my name. The lively cast is rather impressive. Uli Latakefu as Fritz is tall, handsome and dripping with movie star charisma. Nathaniel Lees as Uncle Otto provides the gravitas and acting chops you'd expect. And another acting veteran, Jay Lagaya, plays the seemingly good neighbour, George. Fritz's homecoming is sullied by the fact that nothing is quite how he remembers it. Now that the Baron is no longer around to keep the peace, the place has been overrun by punks and gangsters, notably the notorious Pig Hunters gang. And they make no bones about their contempt for the Baron's unworthy offspring. This place is safe, you know. They all know that the Baron live here. You're the reason that I came back early for my pig gun, eh, boy? <laughs> the Baron Tota would be embarrassed. The final insult is when the pig hunters break into Uncle Otto's house and steal his prized possession, Baron Toa's wrestling championship belt. Otto looks at Fritz. Someone has to recover the family heirloom and honour. If it was your father going, no problem. He know how to handle this type of people. You must fight for the title. Now, the legend of Baron Toa may not be a tale as old as time, but it's certainly as old as any movie whose title begins with the words Son Of or ends with the words Rides Again. And director Carl McNaughton knows what he's doing. There may be touches of Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and dollops of Rocky in this, but it couldn't be more South Auckland. I'm tired of 
Working on becoming a better man. Looking to better a man, I'd say. Not like your old man, though. Ted, he was pretty special. Kyle McNaughton co-produced the ambitious feature films Waru and Vi, but more important to Baron Toa, he cut his teeth directing the sharp comedy of TV series Auckland Days. This street's got some stories. Yes, the script here is occasionally a little over-egged. All the dialogue smacks a little too much of film school. But it's funny, it's sharp, the characters are engaging, and it's got heart. And judging by how long it's been playing in suburban cinemas, it's got legs too. For a while, there was a debate within New Zealand's film industry over who we should be making our movies for and how they should do it. In the dark corner were the serious makers of would-be art films, the cinema of unease aimed at the world's film festivals. And in the wildly colourful corner were the makers of cheap, cheerful genre pictures, films with titles like Deathgasm. You know that evil heavy metal that your parents hate you listening to? Those lyrics about hell, demons and doom. What if I told you it's all real? I know. I was there. It's not surprising that the champions of the Grindhouse cult movies should be Sir Peter Jackson, who started out in that line himself, and 48-hour challenges Ant Timpson, who currently carries the torch in the incredibly strange section of the film festival. Mistakes were made. I- Ten million viewers, you have made history. I never wanted any of this. So the question is, which would audiences prefer to see, quiet and earnest or loud and stroppy? You'd think the answer would be a no-brainer in more senses than one, which is how I found myself heading to see Guns Akimbo, directed by Deathgasm's Jason Lee Howden. Someone's trying to kill me! I'm Miles, and this is the story of the worst day of my life. Jason Lee Howden has been a visual effects artist at Weta Digital for years, working on everything from The Hobbit and The Avengers to Mr. Pip and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I have to say, it shows. Guns Akimbo certainly makes a modest budget go a very long way. Here's what we'll do. Relax and start running! Like its predecessor, Deathgasm, Guns Akimbo is rooted in the internet, social media, guns and rock and roll. And it boasts a genuine movie star in the lead, Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe. And then I came into the picture. You scared yet? Welcome to Schism. 
Like the star of another local thriller, Come to Daddy's Elijah Wood, Daniel Radcliffe seems to have leapt at the chance to mess around with his squeaky clean image. Here he plays Miles, an archetypal loser in a mythical American city. Miles works at a video game house in a world, as they used to say, where the biggest thing online is a game called Schism. Another schism. 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 Schism picked random psychos, weirdos and criminals and made them fight each other to the death. So the internet walked it. It's a setup not a million miles from The Hunger Games or Ready Player One or, if you've got a longer memory, the old Arnie thriller The Running Man. Well, this time, Miles falls foul of the schism people and next thing he knows, they pay him a visit. They bolted these things to my hands. They have my girlfriend. And some psycho is trying to kill me. I'm not a fighter. I'm a nobody. It goes badly, needless to say, and when Miles wakes up, he discovers that not only has he been enlisted as a challenger in schism, but he's been armed in the worst possible way. Two handguns have been riveted to his two hands. Now, Miles, let's see you get out of that. Or indeed, get out of the room. Or go to the toilet. Get out of the car, please. Come on. Please get out. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry. Of course. So Guns Akimbo has now topped up the mixture with elements of Edward Scissorhands and a dash of the Grizzly Saw series, as well as just about every video game ever invented. Miles is on the run and his opponent is Nix, a sort of teenage Charlie's Theron at her most scary, played by Australian star Samara Weaving. It's shooting. You can certainly see why Jason Lee Howden made Guns Akimbo. Everyone behind the camera seems to be having a wonderful time. The stunts are great, and anyone who can stage an endless car chase in the usually jammed traffic of Auckland deserves some sort of medal. Stop shooting at me! I gotta kill you. Schism said they would wipe my sleep. No, Schism is gonna kill us both. I have a plan. It is totally suicidal, but it might work. But you still wonder who it's for, especially when its shortcomings are built into the script. Every second shot seems to be a bunch of millennial fans glued to their smartphones. They're certainly not going to the movies. And I suspect anyone interested in Guns Akimbo are more likely to download it, legally or illegally, than join me at the cinema. Did I win? Which is probably why the queue outside my local multiplex was as short as it was and I had no difficulty finding a seat inside. Pity, really. In the end, I enjoyed Guns Akimbo rather more than I was expecting to. And with that further proof of my occasionally lamentable taste, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.